be together. So I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We have um, been in this series, in our study in the book of Acts called Missio Dei, which is the mission of God. It's Latin for the mission of God. And uh, this morning we're going to continue our series in that, but we're going to do a little bit, something a little bit different. We're not going to go to chapter 3 yet. Um, I want to zero in on something we saw in Acts 2. Um, and something that kind of blows up from that. If you're visiting with us, normally just go verse by verse through what's next in the passage, and we'll be doing that next week in chapter 3, and I think I may even preach all of chapter 3 at 1. I know it's amazing, but I think I might um, next week just because of the, the unit it is. It's a narrative, so sometimes you can do that. And But I want us to go back and kind of look and, and zero in on one specific aspect of what happened on the day of Pentecost in the birth of the church. So I'm going to read verses 41 through 47. Uh, for us here uh, this morning. Chapter 2. So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and and prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possession and, and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, would you agree that there was a serious commitment in the lives of these believers? I mean, it it was a serious commitment. It was a serious commitment to the Lord, to each other, to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread and prayer, to fellowship and all those things. They were committed to the church. You can't get past that passage without getting that out of that, that they were definitely committed. So the title of our message, what we're going to zero on this morning, uh, is Committed to God's Family. Committed to God's Family. So let me pray as we continue. Lord, we are so thankful for your word and um, not only uh, Lord Acts, but the totality of it. Uh, from Genesis to Revelation, which reveals an unbelievable story that's true. That you created this world perfectly, and then we messed it up with sin. And yet, Lord, in the eternal purposes of your heart and your will, you promised that you would send a Redeemer that would take care of our sin. And Lord, you did that. And we get to witness that as we read through your word and we look at the book of Acts and as the church grew and Lord uh, we get to witness it in our lives and you're about your mission about redeeming people from every tribe, tongue people and nation to be worshipers of you who will cry out holy, holy, holy thank you for that and Lord I pray now as we consider the commitment that these believers had to you and then, therefore, as a result of that, to each other, oh, that we would be challenged and changed, that we would be committed, yes, to you, and flowing from that, committed to each other and to your mission, making disciples of all nations. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know if you've uh, heard about the epidemic in our country and in our culture, uh, but it's even spread to the church today. Have you heard of it? It's called 
commitment phobia or commitophobia. You ever heard of that epidemic? It's all over the place. The fear of committing to something. Uh, people with commitophobia fear committing because they may get hurt or it may not benefit them. So why would you commit? Or maybe something better might come along. So if you committed to one thing and something better comes along, then you can't do that. So you don't commit. The fact that an ever-growing amount of young couples today are, getting, are not getting married, but instead of just living together, speaks strongly about commitophobia in our culture and in our country. And all of those statistics show that there's a rise in church attendance across the country. Committing to membership is at an all-time low. This is a sure sign that commitophobia has infiltrated the church. And even when people do commit to the church, commitophobia shows up with a lack of involvement, a lack of real commitment to the church, to the body of Christ. It shows up with men, it shows up with women, it shows up with youth. You don't want to commit to something in the church that will help us fulfill the mission of making disciples, which is the mission of the church, the mission of God, because something else might come along better. And if you might commit to something in the church to help us make disciples, well, when that something along comes better, you can't do that something that was way better than, right, fulfilling the mission of the church. We don't want to commit. Yet when we study the Bible, we see that commitophobia is not the call for those who follow Jesus. Instead, they are commanded to take up their cross daily and follow Him. Commitment, regardless of the cost, is the mark of the godly person who follows Christ. We see this clearly uh, throughout the Scriptures when describing a godly person. I love this particular um, passage in Psalm, Psalm 15.4. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. Speaking of a godly person. They swear to their own hurt. So they make a commitment, and regardless of what happens, they keep the commitment, even if it might bring pain and disappointment in their life. They swear to their own hurt. Has commitophobia affected you? Has it infected you so that you don't commit to God's family in a local church? Well, if it has, I have good news for you this morning. God can cure you of commitophobia. Isn't that good news? This is a curable disease, and He can empower you to commit to His people that were bought with the blood of Christ and to His purpose the mission of the church. So let's let God's word be our guide into understanding and embracing what he says about commitment to his family. Church membership, you might say. Which will in turn help us better fulfill the mission of God. The mission of making disciples of all nations. So in order to do this, uh, we're going to look at four truths from the Bible. Uh, we're not going to be just zeroed in on one passage. We're going to be zeroed on a lot of passages. Kind of an overview of what the Scripture uh, teaches, specifically the New Testament, about church membership, our commitment to the local church, so that we can be the church that God wants us to and be effective at fulfilling His mission. So let's begin consider this first truth. The definition of the church. The definition of the church. If we're going to understand... What the Bible says about church membership, we first must understand what is the church. Now, you'll notice that I'm very careful in the way that I speak about the church. And you're thinking, how are you very careful? If any of you all have ever said, we're involved in a meeting or something's going on, here's what I say. And you can check my emails, check my voicemails, and I do this on purpose. 
because of the confusion can be caused. I'm telling you right now, this building is not the church. So when I say, we'll be meeting at the GBC building, you'll never hear me say, and if I do, slap me, all right, you'll never hear me say, we'll be meeting at the church. We don't meet at the church. We are the church. So I would encourage you, and I won't beat you if you use it this way, all right, but I would encourage you, don't use the word church for the building. It's not the church. We are the church, the people of the church, those that Jesus bought with His blood, those who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for salvation. That is the church, not a building. You get an awful excited about that, Brian, because we confuse everybody. People think they're part of the church because they come to a building. They're not if they don't know Jesus. And we use language like that. And we say, well, yeah, we understand, but many people don't. It's not a building. So, yeah, we meet in a building. And this is Grace Bible Church. God has blessed us with the building we meet in. I'm thankful for that. But it's not the church. Well, you, you, can, you, you find throughout the New Testament that the church is referred to in a general or, or, or a universal sense. And it's also referred to in a specific and local sense. Throughout the New Testament, you see this. The church in general, or the universal church. And let me just throw this out here. When you hear the word Catholic especially in the Apostles' Creed. This is not talking about the Roman Catholic Church. The word Catholic means universal. Right? That's what the word means, is universal. So there is a sense that the Catholic Church is taught. Yes, there's a universal church. And what is the universal church? It's everybody in the world who has seen their sin in light of a holy God and knows they're in trouble. And they realize that God sent Jesus to die in their place. And they turn from trusting in themselves and they trust in the Lord Jesus Christ the forgiveness of sins to make them right with God. All people around the world that have done that. That's the universal church. But interestingly, the universal church uh, is referred to in the New Testament relatively few times when compared to the local church, or specific local church. I mean, it's really rare to find the universal church church referred to. It is referred to. It's insinuated many times, but it's not even close. It's like this compared to the local church when speaking of the church. Universal compared to the local church. Mark Dever makes this point clear in a, one of his books. He says, a few passages in the New Testament seem to refer to the church in ab- the abstract or universally, but the overwhelming majority of references to the church are to local living and loving collection of people who are committed to Christ and each other. Just think about this. We've been working through the book of Acts, and you'll see Paul go and he'll plant churches all in individual communities. And then he goes, and then after the Acts, well, he has to have the letters. And the letters are written to, in general, specific local congregations. Or they were a, a letter was written to local congregations that was me- meant to be passed among those individual local congregations. That's what the New Testament's full of. Is it? local body of believers. And the local church is a group of people who have been made right with God through repentant faith, or repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who commit to God and one another to be taught by God's word, submit to God's ordained uh, leadership structure, selflessly use their gifts to serve other believers. They grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ together. and, And this results then in fulfilling the mission of God to make disciples. That's what a local church is. So let's consider the second truth. First, the, the first truth that we just saw is the definition of the church. All right. Now let's consider the second truth taught in the Bible concerning church membership. 
the biblical case for church membership. Does the Bible in the New Testament make a case for membership in the local church? Here's a simple answer. We'll expound on it. Yes. Yes. And this is not popular today. It's, like, it's amazing to me as I think about the church today. And there's many good things about the church today. God's doing some great things in the church. But it's amazing that many people in the church want to jettison everything that's old. They can't be good. It's old. They didn't really understand. They didn't get it. We've got to be careful about that. Really careful about that. The apostles didn't get it. Are you kidding me? That's how God gave us the Bible. And we want to jettison everything old. Well, they just didn't do it right. Are you kidding me? How arrogant is that? They think we did it all wrong. They did it all wrong. And church membership is one of those things. Yet I will tell you, and I'm a, new, I'm a relatively young guy. I've, I've, we've moved up since we've been here over 12 years. In our 13th year, we're no longer in the young group anymore, sweetheart. They've moved us up a little bit. But I'm still relatively young. And some people might put me in the young generation. But I don't believe there's no evidence for church membership in the Scripture at all. I believe it's all over the place. In fact, you, in fact, you cannot miss it when you really consider what the New Testament says about it. So, let's look at this overwhelming case for church membership in the local church. And let me just say this, um, to remind you, this is not a self-serving focus on the commitment to the local church or church membership here at Grace. We, we don't taste statistics. We're not, Jared and I are not paid on commission. All right? So it doesn't matter how many members we have in that sense. It has no idea. We're just going to faithfully serve. We can have a bunch more or a bunch less. And, and, and it's not okay that we have a bunch less. But it's not going to change. So it's not a self... I just want to teach you what the Bible has to say. Because it's important. We want to honor God. All right? So just, just that's a little side note there. All right? Um, this morning I want us to look at some, some of this evidence that the, God's Word screams. And I mean screams of membership in the local church. Uh, let's just begin with this. I mean, we could just use this one and stop, and you couldn't get around the questions that are brought up from this passage in Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Let me read it. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your full souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief. This would be, would be unprofitable for you. We're not going to deal with the last part, but I encourage you to let us do that with you know, joy and not with grief. All right, but we're going to deal with... Uh, here we see two evidences that make a clear case for membership in the local body. Notice the first phrase, obey your leaders and submit to them. Here's the first evidence that makes a case for membership in the local church. Accountability for the body. If there's no evidence in the New Testament of membership in a local body, then who in the world are we submit to submit to and obey? Think about this with me. All right, if there's no local membership, commitment to local body, so here's the question. Are we then, if there isn't any, as many people would say, they must skip this verse or something. So are we to submit to everybody who has the title elder or pastor in the world? Is that what that's saying? No way, and no one would agree with that. But that's saying that, okay, we're to obey our leaders and submit to them. All people, all leaders, all over the world in the churches. This doesn't make any sense. That can't be true. The writer of Hebrews is writing to a local church to whom he writes and telling them to submit to their leaders as in the identifiable church that they are in. You can't get around that. 
Now notice the phrase in, in Hebrews thirteen seventeen. It says, For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Here's a second evidence that makes a case for membership in the local church. Accountability for the leaders. The elders here and elsewhere in the New Testament are commanded to care for specific people of whom they will help be held accountable by God and how they cared for them. Peter brings this up also in 1 Peter chapter 5. Shepherd the flock among you. So here's my question. Will a pastor or elder, synonymous terms in the New Testament, if you want to talk about that later, we can do that, but synonymous terms, be held accountable for all the Christians in the Brazosport area? No. Texas? No. The whole world? No. It's definitely speaking of a specific local congregation of people among you, not all over the world. Well, let's now consider the third evidence that makes case for the membership of the local church. The practicality of church discipline. Now, church discipline is taught, and let me say this, church discipline, if you've never heard of that term, and if you have heard of that term and don't understand it, maybe you heard it and you go, oh gosh, that's terrible. Church discipline. Church discipline is for the purpose of restoration. Always. It's the most loving thing you can possibly do. Now, church discipline starts off one-on-one, goes to two, a smaller group, and then if you have to, and this is a long, loving, patient process, if you have to, take it for the church if they have not repented. Alright? If you don't see any signs of repentance. Okay? We've had to go to the last step one time in this church. One time. It's been many years ago. Most of you were not here. It was a heartbreaking thing to do. But I'll tell you, after that, I can't tell you how many people talked to me um, about how that was handled. We did it right here in front of everybody. It was a church. Came That's the most loving thing I've ever seen. That you would call all of us to go and call that person to repent because we love them. We don't want them to walk down that road. All right? It's a loving thing. It's a, it's a thing to restore people because you love them. Uh, my parents are here this morning with us. And if my parents did not love me, they would not have spanked me. And would not have brought discipline into my life. But they love me because they showed it and disciplined me. And the Lord, what? Loves those, it says in Hebrews, that He disciplines. And those who are not disciplined are illegitimate children, it says. So it's a wonderful thing. But think about church discipline. Just consider one of the cases of church discipline in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And if you're reading through Abide, you read about that here recently. And, and that the situation in the passage is, is Paul's having to cr- confront the church of Corinth for approving and almost applauding a man who is is unrepentant about his sexual relationship with his stepmother. I mean, they're almost in, encouraging it. And Paul has to confront that. Paul calls the church to remove this man from among them so that hopefully it will shock him into repentance. Now, look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 11 and 12. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? Now, if they are to judge those who are within the church, then they must know who's in the church. You see that? You have to know who's in the church before you can do that. And also, how can you put some out if there's not an in? You can't put someone out if there's no end. If there's not committed, a commitment to the local body of believers, then how do you remove someone from that local body? 
You can't. Church discipline cannot work if there's no such thing as a local church membership. If there's an issue with somebody in another local church, um, now if I know about that, and I, I may go to their pastor, I may go to someone else who's part of that local body and encourage them to, to, to carry out what God has called them to do, but that's not my responsibility. It's not your responsibility to carry that out to its end. That's the local church's responsibility. Let's now consider the fourth evidence that makes a case for membership in the local church. They kept a numerical record and list. They kept a numerical record and list. Now, not for the purpose to say, hey, we got this many people and brag about it, but there was real purposes in it. Look at just Acts 2.41, which we saw uh, here. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and, and that day when we were added about 3,000 souls. At the, end, uh, at the beginning of chapter 4, they're going to add another 5,000. All right, they knew. Anyway, well, maybe it was 5,001. Well, okay. But they had a number. They, they knew. Acts 2.47, which we just read, praising God and having faith with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. How would they have known that if they weren't keeping some kind of a record? They didn't have a spreadsheet, probably like we do, but somehow they were able to keep the record. All right? I don't think we even use a spreadsheet now. We probably use something beyond that I don't know um, I don't understand all that stuff but we, we keep a record they kept a record how about this First Timothy 5 9 a widow is to be put on the list what list well who is Paul writing to he's writing to Timothy his son of the faith who is serving as a pastor at Ephesus the church at Ephesus a local church and in that local church he was calling them to care for the widows and there was some qualifications to be put on the list but there was a list of widows in the local church how would they have known who the widows were they were a part of the local church if they didn't have a bigger list to be put on this list they wouldn't know they would have to have some kind of record in order to care for the widows well that's another evidence Let's now consider a fifth evidence that makes a case for membership in the local church. They appointed leaders for local churches. In Acts 6, which we'll look at here in a few weeks, verses 1 through 6, we see the church at Jerusalem appoint leaders to serve the needs of the local body. These are the prototype deacons, in a sense, Acts 6. Um, and notice what Paul and Barnabas did in planning churches in Acts 14, verse 23. When they had appointed elders for them in every church... Having prayed with fast, and they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. It doesn't say they had a group of elders that oversaw the church worldwide. It doesn't say that. There is much more evidence for the case for membership um, than, than we can go into today. Now, that's, that's kind of the last one I want to look at today. But, but they appointed leaders in individual churches, and they moved on. Now, here's what I would say there are no apostles living today. Because so you, you could say, well, the apostles were responsible for that. They were, and in some ways, they were. People came to them. But they, you didn't see the apostles ruling over the local churches with this you know, iron fist. When they all died off, there were no more apostles. That's why we will have no more Bible. Because <laughs> there's no ap more apostles that God can give to for us to have more of the Bible. We've got Genesis Revelation, and that's all we need. We have a hard enough time with that, right? We don't need more. But so the apostles died, and then it was just those elders that they appointed were left of that and they appointed more elders and deacons and leaders in the church to serve the local congregations well and, and so again there, there's many more evidences in case for church membership or to a local church uh, that we just don't have time to cover uh, this morning but if you want to talk more about those I'd like to read more about that just let me know I'd love to sit down and talk to you about that 
and show you other evidences in the New Testament about uh, local membership. And just one more thought to consider here. The commands made, and I'm not going to go through them, in Romans 12, you can just write this down, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 would be impossible to fulfill if there wasn't local church membership of some kind. Some kind of knowledgeable local church members. They understood they were committed to each other. They knew who it was. You could not fulfill the commands of Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians chapter 12 without that happening. New Testament evidence is that there were local churches and there were theirs, those who were in the churches, they were members, and those who were outside of the local churches, they weren't members. So let's now consider the third overall truth taught in the Bible concerning church membership. Reasons to become a member of a local church. The first reason to become a member of a local church, it kind of goes with what I just showed you, all the evidences that church membership was there, is that you're following the New Testament pattern that's laid out. There's no other New Testament pattern laid out. It's kind of like baptism, right? You don't have, in, in the New Testament, evidence of a believer who was not baptized. Could it have happened? Yes. But the reason that we were given the record that everybody was baptized after they became a believer is so we would follow that pattern. Okay? Could there have been a Christian out in the middle of what we know as Siberia today by themselves? And would they be in sin if they weren't part of a local congregation? No. If they're the only person, no. All right? It's okay. It's that, that's, that, that's, the, that's the exception, not the norm. But we had the norm. We had the pattern. So one of the reasons to, to be a member of a local church is that we follow the pattern that's presented in the New Testament. The second reason to become a member of a local church is that you will know the love of Christ more thoroughly. I love this. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18 19. Look at this. May be, may be able to comprehend. This is Paul's prayer um, for the church. May be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Look at the phrase with all the saints. He's talking about he's praying that they would know the love of Christ in its fullness. But he doesn't say it individually. He says with all the saints. With with all this things. So there's an aspect about knowing the love of Christ to its deepest, fullest measure that you have to be with the saints to understand that aspect of the love of Christ. Isn't that beautiful? Think about this. I'm not going to go too deep into this. You can go listen to this and maybe I'll preach it again on the Trinity. Okay? Three in one. In the Godhead. Right? One what? God three who's. There's a plurality in the Godhead even. I think he's teaching us something even there about who he is. And about the love that we can understand and share of Christ with all the saints. We can comprehend it. And remember that Paul is writing to a local church. The church of Ephesus. The third reason to become a member of a local church is that you will be able to fully obey Christ's command to love. Not only experience the love of Christ and know it more fully, but to obey His command of love. And you see this in John 13, 34-35, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This kind of love is best demonstrated in a group of people that are daily, weekly, and monthly spending time together in a local church where people are committed to the same cause of making disciples. First, you can't love one another if there's no one another. It screams of local church membership and obeying God to love one another. The fourth reason to become a member of a local church is that you will be able to use your spiritual gifts fully. This is what 
Paul was trying to get across the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And Peter exhorts the local church to whom he writes, look at verse 10 of chapter 4 of 1 Peter, and each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Let me tell you this, and this, we don't have time to go into all this, but we're taught in the scripture we're all given at least one spiritual gift. And that spiritual gift is for the benefit of you, right? Who's it for the benefit of? The body. You cannot use your spiritual gift if you're not part of a local body. Think about that. It's for the benefit of the local body. And Paul is writing to an individual church at the church of Corinth. Your spiritual gift is no good by itself. And being used not to, this is a problem in the church of Corinth, exalt yourself, but to exalt, instead we're called to exalt the Lord and to serve each other with our spiritual gifts. We can't use our spiritual gifts without the local church. The fifth reason to become a member of a local church is that you will be able to carry out the one another commands. To love one another. To serve one another. To strengthen one another. To accept one another. To exhort one another. To help one another. To care for one another. To forgive one another. To submit to one another. To be devoted to one another. To be patient with one another. To confess to one another. To spur on one another to love and good deeds. And that's just a portion of the one another's. Without that, you cannot fulfill the one another's without the local church and being committed to a local church. And generally speaking, without being committed to a local church, we will never grow in the grace of God that He commands us to grow in. I love what Donald Whitney says about this. No one develops a proper spiritual symmetry just by listening to Christian radio, watching Christian television, or reading Christian books. You can't get this kind of maturity merely by participating in a group Bible study. Unless you're an active part of a local church, your Christian life and ministry will be in balance. And that is so true. It's so true. And yet, in our world today, commitophobia has taken over. And it's infiltrated the church. So people, you know, I can just stay at home on Sundays. And I'm, I mean, there's God preaching on there. I can just take my pick. I don't like that guy today. I'll just listen to that guy. Or maybe you just like that guy. He's actually good. You go and you listen to some great teacher of the Word of God. That's great. But if you're not committed to a local church, you're in sin. No matter what this guy's teaching. You're off. Because you're not obeying what the Word of God says. We're neglecting what God calls us to do when we're not committed to a local church. Now let's consider the fourth overarching truth concerning church membership. Church membership here at Grace. Alright, so what does church membership look like here at Grace? How do we apply these truths? And again, I've just scratched the surface. I mean, we could have stopped at Hebrews 13, 17. Maybe you're wishing we would have. But just that shows that church membership is clearly taught in the New Testament. You can't fulfill that without that. But we showed, I showed you quite a bit more. I can show you more if you still need more convincing. Alright, but how do we apply those truths here at Grace? The membership process here at get grace is first you indicate your desire for membership you can do that on our website now jared's made that really easy you go up there and i'm new here or resources or next steps thank you next steps you go down it says church membership boom takes you a page to a page explains all church membership it has a membership application with with forms you can read if you if you don't if you're not computer savvy and you don't have a computer or you'd rather just get we'll we'll hand you a hard copy of that all right you say i'd like to know how to become a member here at grace we'll hand you a hard copy of that i think i brought one up here with me so right here it is. We just hand this to you, okay? And and and, um, and in that and those documents are um, our statement of faith, which is eight 
statements of, of what we believe and we require all members to believe. And here's what I would say. Anybody who knows the Lord Jesus Christ would believe these. Right, we have a fuller doctrinal statement what we call what we teach. So people kind of know where we're coming from. But you don't have to agree to all that. None of, n- nobody agrees to everything, right? Um, but we just say this is the area we're coming from. But everybody needs to agree with these because it's just what every Christian in the world would believe in. All right? They would agree with that. And then there it explains the, about the universal church and the local church. Um, but you can, in the documents and uh, on the website and these documents that are here, you also have um, an opportunity to answer some questions about what are the key components of the gospel and then share how you came to a place in your life where you have turned from trusting yourself and you've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior. And, or, if you don't want to do that written, you can do it orally. You don't have to write. If you don't, you know, I'd rather not write that. Okay, well, just want to listen. We're going to hear how you came to the Lord because the church is made up of followers of Christ, those who have been born again. Right? So as much as we can, we can't, we're not God, so we don't know for sure, but as much as we can, we want to understand how that happened. So we can say, okay, good conscience, yes, they're, they're a believer, they're a follower of Christ, so they can be a part of a local church. So you fill that out and you, and you can turn that in. You can also indicate on our website, hey, I'd like to have a membership meeting. Now, uh, it's been a crazy couple weeks. There's actually, some of you are going, hey, I'll turn that in. When are you going to call me? Well, it's been a crazy couple weeks. It's going to be happening here in the next couple weeks. We'll get with all of you who have already done this, gone through this process. But you can go on our website and see that or just talk to us about that. But in that, in the membership documents, there's um, commitments um, that the elders make to you, all right? And then there's commitments we all make to each other, all right? And it's, it's just biblical commitments. And we wanted to say, hey, this is what... The Bible teaches on this. Let's put it down so we all can see what does that look like and just kind of summarize it. And I, and I want to bring up, um, first of all, the, the requirements, obviously, uh, of being a member. Anyone who has trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as a personal Savior and Lord who is in agreement with the GBC statement of faith and is willing to be shepherded according to the principles of the Bible as direct, described in the doctrinal statement and applied in the Constitution of this church is eligible for membership in Grace Bible Church. All right? Um, uh, and then there's commitment by the elders, uh, which is in this document, and then commitment to each other. Well, let's look at these. Uh, with the help of the Holy Spirit, all members of GBC, or Grace Bible Church, commit to each other too. Now first, notice this is very strategically worded. With the help of the Holy Spirit. This is not legalism. This is life. And we are calling on, calling on God, the Holy Spirit, who lives inside all those who have been born again, to help us do what he's called us to do. Isn't that great? He puts this standard up there that's impossible, and he empowers us to meet that as we love each other in a local body. So here, let's just look at number one there. Seek to maintain a close relationship with the Lord through regular personal Bible reading, prayer, fellowship, and practice of other spiritual disciplines. Uh, secondly, use the financial resources and spiritual gifts God has given us for the building up of the church, both at GBC and universally, we are, think it's important that we help fulfill the gospel worldwide. So we support people who are doing that worldwide. Practice humility and sacrificial attitude of Christ by meeting the needs of others inside and outside of Grace Bible Church. Next, follow the biblical procedures or church discipline and submit ourselves to discipline if the need should arise, remembering the purpose is ultimately to, for restoration and the glory of God. Fifthly, submit to the authority of Scripture as a final arbiter in all issues. Sixth, do our part to fulfill the Grace Bible Church's purpose. Grace Bible Church exists as a family directed by God's word to exalt God in, in everything, equip one another for ministry and evangelize the lost. Uh, so that's what it looks like. That's how we try to the best. Is that inerrant? No, that's not the Bible. We understand that. Okay, that's, that's the only thing that's inerrant. The, the best of our ability to summarize what it looks like and how we're going to do that. It doesn't give us the instructions exactly how that 
was to be carried out, but obviously it was carried out. I've shown you that. There was local church membership. They were committed and they knew who it was. There was in, there was out, there was numbers. They knew that. All right? So that's just the best way we could come up with, all right, to, to be able to, to, for us to, to um, fulfill what God calls us to do and for people to come together and commit. Well, the Bible is clear. If we are going to be, an effect, we be effective at being about the mission of God, which the book of Acts shows us what, what that is and, and shows how it happens in the early church, if we're going to be effective in fulfilling God's mission, the mission of making disciples, a very tribe, tongue, people, and nation, we are going to need to be committed to a local church, committed to each other, committed to church membership. So how do we respond to all this today? Well, first of all, if you are not committed to Grace Bible Church, if you've been coming here for a while and you say, hey, this is my church, well, then we would invite you to commit and let everybody else know this is your church and say, I'm in, I'm with everybody. I want to be a part of that because the Bible clearly says I need to. I want to commit. Let us know. You can let me or Jared know, any of the elders uh, know that. Um, uh, just Tyler was back here. Greg's on vacation. so But you can let us know. Let, just let Jared and I know and we can make sure that that process begins. Um, and those who have already committed... Don't let commitophobia get on you once you do that commitment. Be committed to the local body so that you can experience the love of Christ that you've never experienced before. You can fulfill the one another. You can use your spiritual gift to build up the body and to glorify God. And in that, we find our greatest purpose. We find our greatest fulfillment, our greatest joy when we do that. As long as we stand on the sidelines, we're missing out. Well... Lastly, how can we apply the truth here? Well, to be a part of a local body, you first must be part of the universal body of Christ. So what does that look like? Well, I've shared it with you a couple times. I shared it with you at the beginning when I talked to my friend Craig. God's standard is impossible. And yet as human beings, we naturally think we can meet God's standard, don't we? We think we can meet His perfection and righteousness because we're just a little bit better than the guy next door or the girl next door I'm better than them but God's standard is not them God's standard is the righteousness of his son and we can try all we want we can come to church we can be baptized we can take communion we can go to Bible study we can help old ladies across the street we can obey our parents and none of those things will make us right with God instead those things are a result of being made right with God but first we must be made right with God. So we must see we cannot meet God's standard. He calls us a perfection and holiness. I can't do it. I can't. You can't. And yet He loved us so much. If God could be in the dilemma, He was in the dilemma. The dilemma is this. He loved us and yet we were sinful and separated from Him. And God must punish sin. So God poured out His wrath on His Son to punish sin us the one who knew no sin he made sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him so what we do is we transfer our trust in our own goodness and our own merit we turn from that and we transfer it on the person and work of Jesus Christ and he promises when we do that we're born again we're part of the family of God. And then once we do that, we can be committed to a local body. But that's first and most important. That's why I went to Kentucky. That's why I went to Kentucky. 
Because I want to know, I want my friend to know that he could be forgiven. That he could be made right with God. Not because of what he did. Because of what Christ did. And I shared this, and you've heard me say this many times in the funeral. Christianity is all about spelling, isn't it? All other worldviews spell, spell how, we be, how we're made right with God in two letters. What are they? D-O. It's what we do. Christianity is spelled with four letters. This is a good four-letter word. D-O-N-E. It's what Christ has done on our behalf. And that's huge difference. That's the difference between heaven and hell. And my prayer this morning is, if you're not part of the body of Christ, you've never turned from trusting yourself, you would do that this morning. And then commit to a local body. Maybe you're visiting with us this morning. Maybe this isn't the local body you're supposed to commit to. That's okay. We're not in competition. We want you to be committed to the local body you're supposed to be committed to. Maybe committed to a local body. Go through the church membership process. And allow God to cure, commit a phobia in your life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you for the example of the early church who were committed to each other. They were devoted to each other. They were devoted to you. They were devoted to your word, to prayer, uh, to, to building up the body of Christ, to fulfilling the mission of the church. And Lord, we want to do that here at Grace. Because we want people to know the joy and the fulfillment that comes from being rightly related to you through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, use us for those purposes.